And welcome to Navi Tales. I'm Josh. I'm Nick. And today we are doing Uncharted. The first one. Uh, you're familiar with the franchise? Yeah, I love Uncharted. I played the first game and didn't give a fuck. Actually, I didn't even finish the first game. I got like halfway through it. Yeah, you're... Fuck. Because I'm me. <laughs> Nick, it's not... It's not because I'm a cuss word. It's because I'm just me. Yeah, that's true. Just who I am as a person, and that's 100% true. Yep. Anyone who knows me will know I play like 50% of a game and then go on board and then move on to something else. Yeah, like my Nier Automata is still on your show. I played an hour of that game. <laughs> I'm aware. Um, Monster Hunter World I bought. I played like an hour of that. Um, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, I didn't play. I've, I mean, I've played them all before, but I haven't played them recently. Final Fantasy 15. I played like six hours of that one, which is like playing an hour of any other game. <laughs> much. Um, I never finished the Phantom Pain, but like, who would? Um, yeah, I haven't finished the most recent DLC for Dark Souls Three because I couldn't be fucked. Uh, Destiny Two, I have all the DLC passes and I never finished it. Yeah, it's just who I am as a person. It really is. I get bored and then I go do something else. Yeah, like a child. I'm a massive child. Like, and if Nick can tell you about how I get hyped about something and then immediately lose interest. Yes. Because I'll get him hyped about something or other friends of ours hyped about stuff. Be like, oh, we can all do this, this, and this together. And then I'll stop. Yeah. And then they'll keep going and be like, why'd you stop? I go, I got bored. Pretty much. Yeah. It happens a lot. It doesn't happen as much as it used to because I'm aware of it. Yeah. You just, you just don't do it anymore. But like, it happened a lot. It used to happen a lot until someone, you, I think it was, made me very aware of it. And I went, oh, fuck, I didn't even know I did that. Yeah. So I went, okay, now I need to, like, stop getting my friends mad at me by getting them really invested in something and then dropping it. Which is why, like, I knew we were all going to get invested in D&D. But I made sure I stayed invested in D&D and pushed myself past the, I'm bored of this, Mark. So now we're just obsessed. Yeah. But like D and don't know. That's probably the best thing I think we've ever, I've ever gotten us all into. That and Destiny, because Destiny One, we pretty much stayed till we stayed till the end. We stayed till the end of Destiny One, and then even bridged it into Destiny Two. Right. Like we were playing Destiny One like the night before Destiny Two dropped. Right. Like, and we and then we all fell off Destiny Two at our own pace. Yeah, that wasn't because I got bored. Although right. I think I was probably the first one to get bored of that game. Um. Yeah. Either you were broke. <laughs> Bro just didn't even want that game in the first place. Bro's near as bad as I am. Uh, yeah, for certain things, yeah. But, yeah, I just don't get my friends hyped about things. Like, No Man's Sky, I haven't played in a couple weeks now, but that's mostly because I have other things, I want to go back to it. But, like, when I was talking about the it getting good, I was like, don't buy it. Because I know me. It's yeah. multiplayer now, it would have been really fun to do it in there. I was like, D don't buy it. Yeah. You don't want to buy this game. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've learned from now when, when Josh says, like, multiplayer things, I'm just like, no, I'm going to wait. Yeah, it's, it's just who I am as a person. Uh, deal with it. But Uncharted, I played, like, half of this game and then got bored. I own the collection. Uh, I, I think I own it digitally. But, yeah, I own the Uncharted collection. I own every Uncharted game, and I only played half of the first one and haven't touched the franchise. Yeah, I played 1, 2, 3, and 4. I didn't play any of the... PSP ones, Vita, whatever, and I didn't play that new spinoff-ish one. The one that isn't Drake. The one that doesn't have Nathaniel Drake in it. 
But I um yeah, I I'm just me. Uh it's weird that I don't care about this franchise because I'm big into history. Yeah. Uh I I for those for the uninitiated, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in history with a concentration in museum studies and I work in an auto parts place. Yeah, I mean, you think this game would be right up your alley. It's treasure hunting and stuff. It's treasure hunting about Nathan Drake. I don't know. I guess it's just not my kind of history. Like, the archaeology part's really, really cool to me. And, like, the conspiracy part of it. Like, oh, what is El Dorado? We'll get into it. But, um, I, uh, my history has less to do with Spain and pirates and more to do with uh, Vikings, which are like pirates but cold. They're cold pirates. They're cold pirates. I, I specialized in ancient to medieval history, and this is definitely neither. Right. So, although Francis Drake, I think, technically is medieval. Because 1585, I think the middle of medieval era, middle era, ends in 1600s, but barely. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, regardless, uh, let's dive into the Uncharted game. So, treasure hunter Nathan Drake and TV host Elena Fisher are on a boat off the coast of Panama, having just found and recovered the coffin of legendary explorer Sir Francis Drake, Nate's apparent ancestor who was buried at sea over 400 years ago. Elena films Nate as he opens the coffin, only to discover that it is empty, except there is a small metal box containing Sir Francis's diary. Although Elena is eager to continue filming, Nate covers up the lens with his hand, saying that she already got her story. As they begin to argue, Nate spots some pirate boats approaching them and breaks away to radio his mentor and partner, Victor Sully Sullivan, asking him to hurry along to pick them up. As Elena spots the pirate boats closing in, she suggests that they call the authorities, but Nate reveals that they don't have a permit to be in those waters. Therefore, he insists they deal with the enemies themselves. Nate arms himself and hands a gun to Alana just before the pirates arrive at their salvage vessel, and moments later, the pirates begin climbing aboard. Eventually, a pirate boat, armed with a rocket launcher, swims by and fires at the vessel, causing it to burst into flames. Fortunately, Sully comes to their aid, circling around in his seaplane. Seeing that their ship is about to explode, Nate and Alana jump overboard and swim to the seaplane, where they are rescued by Sully. Every time I hear the name, I think of the monster. Philly kindly introduces himself to Elena. With a small kiss on her hand, Nate insists they fly out of here before they attract any more attention. As they fly back to the mainland, Nate shows Sully the diary of Sir Francis, theorizing that Sir Francis faked his death like he thought, and that he must have been onto something big. Sully insists they keep the information between them. Elena returns Nate's gun and demands a look at the diary when they land. Back on the mainland, Nate and Sully are aboard another boat at the pier while Alana is outside talking to her producer about the events that occurred back in the ocean. Nate shows Sully the diary and explains to him that Sir Francis must have hidden his, this final treasure to keep it from getting out when he returned to England. He then shows him a page that reads El Dorado which is believed to be a fabled lost city of gold. Now interested, Sully asks if there's anything else noted in the book, but unfortunately, the last page has been torn out. Despite this, the two are still eager to go after the treasure. However, Sully figures it would be best Alana does not tag along with them, fearing that her recorded story will attract unwanted attention. Despite Nate's assertions that she could hold her own, Sully doesn't want to risk any competition 
while going after the treasure. Meanwhile, Elena is on the phone with her producer, requesting to have a camera crew present. Shortly after, Nate and Sully sail off, leaving Elena behind on the dock. She then turns around and runs after them, but is too late and walks back in disappointment. After abandoning Elena at the docks, Nate and Sully begin their search for El Dorado in the jungles of Central America. Following the map in Francis's Drake's diary, they trek through the jungle and arrive at a large open area. Contrary to what Nate's locator tells him, there is nothing there, much to Sully's disappointment. The two continue on looking around for clues. They then arrive at the entrance of a pre-Columbian Incan or Mayan temple. Uh, Nate does some skillful climbing to find a way to get inside. Nate then spots something unusual about the ground below the temple. Sully walks over to inspect it and finds that it's hollow. Nate then proceeds to make his way to the roof and push down a large boulder onto the floor to break it open. The two then proceed inside and begin exploring the temple. They soon discover a Spanish helmet, and Nate deduces that the treasure had long ago been taken by the Spanish. Sully becomes enraged and mentions that he needs the treasure to pay off the many debts he has accrued. The two continue their search through the temple. After passing through a chain door, they spot a brazier, which is found in Drake's notebook. Sully lights it, causing it to flare up and light the lamps lining the ceiling. Just ahead of them is a pile of wooden debris. Nate shoots one of the lamps down, causing a spark of fire to fall down and burn the wood, while the two watch in amazement. Nate then climbs his way down to find a way for Sully. Following the clues of the book, Nate successfully solves a puzzle and unlocks a hidden passage underneath the temple. Nate climbs his way down there and makes his way to the other side of the stone door, then blows it open for Sully to get through. They both continue on, and after opening up another chain door, they come across an unstable walkway. Nate begins carefully walking along the structure until everything begins to crumble. Nate rushes his way to the other side as everything falls down. Following this phenomenon, they realize they must be getting closer, and they slowly proceed up the stairs into the main chamber. There they find an empty, hollow niche in the back of the wall where a statue once stood, and they realize that El Dorado is not a city of gold, but a golden statue. Tilly notes that a carving on the wall depicting what looks like people worshipping the statue. Nate then discovers tracks leading out of the room. He then discerns that the Spanish conquistadors had dragged the statue out on cut logs. He and Sully followed the tracks out through the back wall of the temple, only to discover that the back wall was blown out by the Spaniards to make a shortcut to get the treasure out. Despite this, the two continue on through the jungle heading up towards a nearby river. They then catch sight of something that astonishes the, both of them, a giant German U-boat stuck within the river. Ah, yes, Germans. Wouldn't be a uh, treasure, treasure hunting romp without them. Yep. Uh, Nate is eager to start exploring it, but Sully is cautious, saying that there's something fishy about this, and insists he stays behind while Nate goes expo to explore the submarine. Before investigating, Nate gives Sully Francis Drake's diary to hold on to while he searches the submarine. Once inside the vessel, he informs Sully that something horrible had happened as the place is littered with blood and soup. Um, I found that as a direct quote online. I don't remember there being soup in this part, but I laughed my ass off. Yeah, I don't really remember either. As he searches the vessel, he finds a body with pockets full of Spanish gold shortly before arriving in the captain's quarters, where he then finds the captain's body ripped to shreds. 
Nate inspects the body and finds a uh, Kriegsmarine map which shows the location of an island that the Spanish took El Dorado to, along with a smaller hand-drawn map that shows the island in detail. As he informs Sully of his discovery over the, his walkie-talkie, Sully is suddenly cut off. Nate leaves the boat to find out what is going on. On his way out, Nate accidentally activates a torpedo. He quickly exits through a hole and swims back to shore, only to discover Sully being held at gunpoint by Gabriel Roman, Atak Navarro, and his mercenaries. Roman informs Nate that Sully owes him a lot of money. Nate is forced at gunpoint to relinquish the Kriegsmarine na- uh, map to Roman and Navarro, although he keeps the second map that he found. Roman, not quite satisfied, feels that Sully needs a reminder and aims his revolver at Nate. As Sully tries to discourage him by telling him that Nate has nothing to do with it, Roman shifts his aim to Sully without hesitation and shoots him in the chest. As Sully falls down, Nate reacts by trying to take Navarro's rifle. All the while, the torpedo Nate accidentally set off suddenly goes off, causing the U-boat to blow up, killing several mercenaries unfortunate enough to be on it, and catching Roman and Navarro off guard. Nate then uses this distraction as a chance to escape, but before he does, he takes one last look at Sully's motionless body before running back into the jungle unarmed. As he rushes down the path, he runs into Alana, who greets him with a punch in the face, before leaving her back at the dock. He informs her of Sully's death before telling her that they need to escape. Alana hands him a PM 9mm pistol, and the two proceed to fight their way back through the temple to escape the mercenaries. Once they approach the jeep, Nate asks Alana if she can memorize the coordinates to the Kriegsmarine Island, which is UK 2642. They fire up the jeep and leave the island on Sullivan's seaplane. Without warning, they are hit by anti-aircraft fire, which destroys one of their engines. Nate insists they bail out. Elena searches for a couple of parachutes, while Nate desperately tries to keep control of the plummeting plane. After grabbing the parachutes, Elena straps one on and then jumps out of the plane. Nate then seizes control of the plane and proceeds to jump out. Upon jumping, he attempts to open his parachute, only to discover that it has been pierced and has a hole in it, which leaves him falling straight down into the trees. And then he dies. End of franchise. Yep, the end. No more games. And then suddenly, Jack and Daxter. (laughs) Shortly after, Nate awakens to find himself dangling from a statue, still strapped into his parachute. He cuts himself loose and drops down. Checking his pockets, he notices he left the map on the wrecked plane, which is a long way from his position. He proceeds to venture into the jungle, heading towards the distant column of smoke rising from the wreck of his plane. Following several gunfights with Eddie Raj's pirates, he eventually finds the front end of the plane in an encampment and is relieved to see the map still in one piece. However, upon turning around, he spots Alana's parachute dangling from a tower far away. As Nate treks through the jungle, he stumbles across a large old fortress. He begins scaling the outer wall of the fortress before breaking in through one of the windows. He finds himself inside the fortress walls, but outside the building itself, stuck in its many outer courtyards. He fights through waves and waves of Eddie Rogers' pirates as he searches for Elena and makes his way toward a small ruined tower that her parachute is hanging off of. He climbs up to a hole and ziplines down uh, into the roof of a building below. He glimpses Alana filming out through one of the upper windows. Down below is a closed gate. Using a foreign language, he speaks through a microphone to one of the goons by the gate. The gate opens, but 
they notice it is Nate, and they start shooting at him. Persuasion was good. Yeah, he rolled high. Persuasion was good. Stealth wasn't. Yeah. After taking down these guys, Nate presses on, looking for a way up to Alana. Nate exits the underchambers of the fortress and finds himself in a courtyard at the base of a large tower. Noticing that the same tower has been drawn on the map, he recovered from the U-boat. He scales the tower's outer walls, and on the inside, he uncovers a set of keys that allow him to proceed further into the fortress. Inside, he finds an English helmet and swords. Alongside a message that reads, Fletcher, we have gone to the Great Tower. I pray that you will meet us there. Francis Drake. The message is accompanied by a drawing of the tower and a map leading to it. Pushing further into the fortress, Nate arrives at and climbs the tower, which provides a vista of the island below. He finds Francis Drake's telescope and uses it to study a distant harbor where he sees that the ships that brought Francis Drake to the island lie ruined and almost completely sunk in the water. It dawns on him that Francis Drake may never have made it off this island. He also notices Alana, who is standing near the base of the tower, filming the same sight across the harbor. Two of Eddie Raj's pirates, one armed with an M79 grenade launcher, sneak up to a ledge behind her and prepare to kill her. Nate opens fire on them, and the one with the M79 turns and fires at him instead. The resulting blast destroys a portion of the tower and knocks Nate unconscious. He is awoken in a jail cell by Elena, who is throwing stones in at him through the barred window. She informs him that it will just take a tug to pull the bars out and disappears as Eddie Raja enters the jailhouse, carrying Nate's map. Eddie tells Nate that his men are dying and that they can't even go outside to take a piss without an armed guard. Nate refuses to cooperate with Raja's threats and demands, saying that he'd rather die than help him. While the two have been talking, Elena has placed a hook on the cell window bars and attached the hook to a jeep using a cable. She uses the jeep to rip the back wall of the cell. And as Eddie stares in shock, Nate grabs the map from his hands and escapes through the wall. He climbs to the jeep, and the two drive into the jungle, pursued by Raja's men. After evading the last of the pirates, Elena almost drives the jeep over the edge of a cliff, and it is left hanging over the edge. As Nate attempts to drive it back up, Eddie arrives and forces them to get out and surrender the map. Nate tries to stall him for a minute, and then reverses the jeep, backing it off the cliff and into the water below. That scene was fun. Peter, back up. No, I thought I'd go forward. <laughs> did you just did you just reference Family Guy on our good Christian podcast? <laughs> yes. What? What? I you never reference Family Guy. I used to all the time and then I kind of stopped. But so, so the to, other day I was watching I, mean, I do the uh I do the Brian, we need paper towels. Every, every time I can't find paper <laughs> I towels, I will go, Brian, we need paper towels. <laughs> I uh, started watching Family Guy from the beginning. Man, their jokes were a little bit uh inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. I love the one where they go back to the first episode. And yeah. And they're like Look, it's your your fucking eye does that weird thing where it goes over your nose because the animation was shitty, <laughs> and they like pointed it out. Oh yeah, um, it was that was fucking great. And then there was the fact that like that was when Stewie was like an evil genius trying to kill Lois. Yeah, that was like the plot of Stewie, and now Stewie's just like this flamboyantly gay baby. Yeah, which I love. It's fantastic. 
Nate and Elena swim out of their crashed jeep into a nearby city, which has become largely flooded over the years. Elena shows Nate what she has been filming with her video camera, pointing out a building in the harbor that all cargo coming off ships must have went through. She surmises that the El Dorado statue must have went through there too. Nate notices a small motorboat in front of the building and decides that it is their best chance of escaping the island, telling Elena that the treasure and the truth about Francis Drake is not worth dying over. The two set off through the drowned city on a jet ski. Along the way, they wonder what happened to the Spanish colony. Elena remembers stories of a cursed Incan treasure saying that something bad happened here. Nate laughs it off as superstitious nonsense. But Elena points out that a whole colony doesn't just up and vanish. Nate and Elena push through the groups of Eddie Raj's pirates in the drowned city, searching for a way into the customs house. Nate and Elena push through the groups of Eddie Raj's pirates in the drowned city, searching for a way into the custom house, the harbor building where a motorboat has been moored. Nate and Elena then move through the customs house. Nate and Elena enter a room containing ship manifests and stop to study one that has been left open on a table in the center of the room. It details the Esperanza, which sailed from uh, Calo, Peru, carrying a gold statue weighing 20 arubas, or 500 pounds. The next page has a detailed drawing of the statue labeled El Dorado. This is the last entry, and the following pages are blank. Ooh. Scary. This is ominous. Elena points out the ring Nate has around his neck, asking if it's somebody special. He tells her that it belonged to Francis Drake and points out its inscriptions, Francis Drake's motto, Sig Parvis Magna, greatness from small beginnings, which I have on my copy of Uncharted 2 signed by Nolan North. Oh, he wrote that on that? Yeah, he wrote Sig, I'm, he wrote Sig, Parv, uh, Sig Parvis Magna on it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. As well as the date the ring was made, the 29th of January, 1596, the day Sir Francis Drake supposedly died. Beside these are the coordinates leading to the spot off the coast of Panama where his coffin was recovered. Drake tears the El Dorado page out of the log, points it at Elena's camera, and says that it's the closest to El Dorado they're going to get. They continue on towards the boat, and Elena suggests that they separate so that she can film more of the island, while Nate gets the boat and comes back to pick her up. Nate agrees and moves onward, entering a large, domed building. As he enters, a helicopter flies overhead, and he points out that Eddie's pirates don't have helicopters. The door that he enters through slams shut behind him. Ominously. Nate is ambushed by a large group of Eddie's pirates inside the large, domed building. After fighting his way through them, he advances to the motorboat that will get him and Elena off the island. When he reaches the harbor, he spots some pirates about to make off with the boat. He is then surprised by Elena, who has made her own way to the boat. As Nate prepares to take out the pirates, Elena stops him and shows him footage of Roma escorting the supposedly dead Victor Sullivan onto a helicopter with Navarro. As Elena begins to question how much Nate trusts Sully, pointing out that Roma and Navarro are not exactly holding him at gunpoint. Nate tells her that Sully is not a backstabber and takes out his map to figure out where they are headed. Following Elena's direction, he works out that they were traveling north towards the monastery. The pirates have driven off in the boat, leaving the two with no other option but to travel after Sully. They advance further through the drowned city, passing over a rope bridge that spans an enormous gap between two buildings. 
Nate points out scorch marks at the edges of the buildings, explaining that they were packed full of enough gunpowder to blow them wide open. As they cross the bridge, one of the planks beneath Elena gives way and she falls. Nate grabs her arm, but is unable to pull her up until she drops her camera into the water far below, which disappoints Elena. The two continue to press on and eventually arrive at the city's outer limit on the bank of a river where a jet ski has been moored. Moored. Golem. Golem. Nate and Elena arrive at the monastery by jet ski. Once there, they face Navarro's mercenaries who have overrun the area. Fighting their way through the monastery and the surrounding jungle, they come across the body of one of Eddie Rogers' pirates impaled on one of the spike traps that Nate first encountered back on the Craig's Marine Island. Elena wonders why Raj or Navarro's men would set up traps when they are at risk of triggering them. Nate rightly points out that they wouldn't. Elena questions whether the Spanish had made them hundreds of years earlier, and Nate tells her to look more closely at the spikes, as they have been clearly made from the metal of their plane, indicating that they were made very recently by some unknown presence. Nate also points out that something has been chewing on the pirate in the trap and notices odd two-toed footprints on the ground. He surmises from the deathly silence around them that they are being watched. He quickly puts out he quickly puts the thought out of his mind, and they continue to press on towards the monastery. They eventually come into a large plaza containing a large church and a library, along with several other empty buildings. They begin to have bad feelings about the place and insist they hurry up and find Sullivan so they can get out of there. They hear the mercenaries discussing Sullivan, who is being held in the library. They shoot their way in and confront Sullivan about his supposed death. He shows them Francis Drake's diary, which he had placed in his shirt's breast pocket, allowing it to stop the bullet from killing him. However, Sullivan comments that it still hurt like a son of a bitch. He then tells Nate that Roman and Navarro have been making him translate the books in the library, looking for clues to the treasure's whereabouts. Deciding to buy time until Nate arrived, Sullivan had sent them chasing a red herring on the other side of the monastery. After assuring Elena that they will not leave her behind again, the three decide to go for the treasure. Sully tells Nate that there may be more to the library than meets the eye, and after solving a statue puzzle, Nate opens a secret passage leading down into another library. Nate solves another puzzle and opens another passage to the Land of the Dead, the labyrinth of catacombs beneath the monastery. He tells Sully and Elena to wait in the hidden room where they will be safe, claiming that he will make much less noise than all three of them. He carries a walkie-talkie to communicate with them, and Elena warns him to be careful. They close the door back up, and Nate heads out into the land of the dead. Eventually, he reaches a grating beneath a small mausoleum where Gabriel Roman and Atak Navarro are arguing with Eddie Raja. Raja tells them that his men are being massacred not just by Drake, but by something else, and claims that the island is cursed. Roman dismisses him as a superstitious idiot and tells him that their contract is over and that Eddie will not receive a share of the treasure. Eddie pulls his gun on Roman, only to be stopped by Navarro. After this, Eddie leaves, cursing, while Roman throws his cigar down the grating, unaware. It hit Drake in the forehead. Roman asks Navarro why he hired Raja in the first place. To which Navarro replies, you wanted someone cheap. Roman tells Navarro he better get what he's paying for from him and that this treasure of yours had better be worth it. Navarro assures him that El Dorado is worth more than you can possibly imagine. After overhearing their conversation, 
Nathan continues through the catacombs and soon finds a door that leads him back outside. Nate makes his way back through the monastery, fighting more of Atak Navarro's mercenaries along the way. As he advances, he is contacted on his walkie-talkie by Sully, who... Who the fuck named walkie-talkies, man? I don't know. I hate writing that word out. I don't know. Somebody's like, look, you can walk and talk. With it. The end. What? Copyright TM. <laughs> Copyright TM. As he advances, he is contacted on his walkie-talkie by Sully, who, along with Elena, has been reading through the books in the library where Nate left them. He informs Nate of a secret gallery above the church that will reveal the location of the treasure vault. After more climbing and crossing a bunch of platforms above the sanctuary, he gets to the gallery, and inside, he opens a window bearing the symbol used by the Spanish to mark their treasure vaults. Two crossed keys passing through a heart. From the window... He is given a clear view of the graveyard behind the church and a mausoleum marked with the same symbol. The same mausoleum that Sully had previously sent Roman and Navarro to on a red herring. After informing Sully of the situation, Nate climbs down the outer wall of the church as Sully creates a distraction that gets Roman and Navarro out of the mausoleum. After crossing the graveyard littered with goons, Nate meets up with Elena and Sully in the mausoleum, where he once again turns to Francis Drake's diary to solve a puzzle which opens up a secret passageway. Nate and Elena enter, but a trap is sprung as Sully follows them. Nate pushes him back into the mausoleum as the door slams shut. Sully informs Nate over his walkie-talkie that he is fine despite being knocked on his ass. With no way back, Nathan and Elena have no choice but to press on. You'll see that I have a lot of quotes from Sully. Yes, Sully's great. It's mostly because he makes me laugh. Yeah, Sully's fucking great. Nate and Elena then arrive in the treasure vault, a labyrinth of walkways, stairs, and dead ends. Nate notices that several Roman numerals have been engraved into metal plates and set into the ground, each one bearing a directional arrow. Following the Roman numerals scrawled on the corner of Francis Drake's map, which were 2, 5, and 7, he navigates through the vault, along the way glimpsing strange human-like forms running in the distance. As he and Elena progress... Eddie Raja, accompanied by several of his pirates, blasts through a door at the back of the vault. Eddie tells Nate that the last man alive gets the gold before ordering his men to kill him and Elena. Nate and Elena fight their way through the pirates, moving upwards as they advance. They eventually find themselves in a small room at the top of the vault where they find the corpse of Sir Francis Drake. Nate is clearly disappointed that Drake never found the treasure and leaves his ring with the body, saying, So much for greatness, he wasted his life for nothing. Nate and Elena start looking for a way out as the distant screams of Eddie Raja's pirates begin to echo through the vault. Nate boosts Elena up to a broken ladder where she climbs up to the room's upper level. She tells Nate that there is a rope attached to an old hoist, but discovers that it is stuck as she attempts to swing it out to Nate. As she attempts to move the hoist, Eddie and Procasso back into the room, clearly, clearly terrified. Nate greets them gun in hand but their tense reunion is interrupted by nearby roaring and screams of Eddie's dying pirates. Nate asks Eddie what is happening, to which Eddie replies, We're dead. We're all dead. A human-like creature grabs Procoso and drags him into a hole. More of these creatures, known as descendants, begin to pour into the room through the holes in the floor, and Nate and Eddie are forced to work together to stay alive. The two open fire on the descendants. During the firefight, Eddie kills a descendant whose body falls into one of the holes. Proud, he moves to the edge of the hole and proclaims, Don't mess with Eddie Raja. Another descendant then reaches out of the hole and pulls Eddie in. 
Despite Nate's best efforts to save him, Eddie is bitten in the neck and pulled down into the hole. Nate is faced with several more descendants that appear. He continues to fight alone until Elena manages to move the hoist and get the rope out for him to climb up. The two run down a passageway pursued by the descendants. They eventually pass through a large metal doorway, which they close and seal shut behind them. With the descendants roaring outside, Elena is the first to notice their location. They are in an upper control room of a long-abandoned German submarine bunker. Nate runs up to the window and spots a submarine sitting in a dry dock far beneath them. Elena discovers an elevator that can take them back to the surface. However, it will not work until they find a way to restore power to the bunker. Noting the extreme athletic skill it will take to climb down the pipes to the ground, Elena decides to wait in the control room while Nate heads into the bunker. Nate moves through the darkened submarine bunker filled with descendants. After several encounters with them, he arrives at the bunker's generator. As he starts it up, an alarm is triggered and the descendants swarm the generator's room. Nate, fighting through the descendants, manages to activate the electrical switches that deliver power to the rest of the bunker. He escapes the generator room, trapping the descendants inside. Heading back the way it came, he finds that the power has turned on a projector showing footage of the German expedition. Footage shows the El Dorado statue along with one of its victims. A man has been chained to it and is attempting to attack the camera, behaving exactly like the descendants. On the table beside the projector, Nate finds a letter, the last testament of Francis Drake. In the letter, Francis Drake explained that the treasure bears a terrible curse and that it was he who destroyed the Spanish ships in an attempt to stop it from ever leaving the island. Reading this, Nate realizes that the treasure also affected the Spanish hundreds of years ago. Through centuries of inbreeding, they became the descendants that were currently roaming the island. Pushing on, Nate arrives in the control room across from the one that he left Elena in. He sees her being captured by Roma and Navarro. Roman activates the microphone on his end and speaks to Nate, thanking him for leading him to the to El Dorado. They then leave, taking Elena with them in order to stop Nate and Sully from trying anything creative. Navarro's mercenaries, now bearing protective helmets, enter the bunker and try to kill Nate, but they soon get caught up in fighting the descendants. Nate fights through both descendants and mercenaries before climbing a ladder that takes him back up to the monastery above. Nate contacts Sully over his walkie-talkie after escaping the bunker. He tells him that Roman and Navarro captured Elena. Sully then tells Nate that he's pinned down in the monastery courtyard. Nate comes to his aid, and after clearing the area of Otak Navarro's mercenaries, the two enter the church. After fighting through three more waves of mercenaries, Nate uncovers a secret passage underneath the altar. Knowing that he cannot let the cursed El Dorado leave the island, Nate once again enters the catacombs beneath the church, with Sully close behind. Nate and Sully move through the deserted catacombs and arrive in an open cavern beneath the graveyard. Roman is inspecting the El Dorado statue, which stands beneath a large hole in the ground above. To his right, Navarro is holding Elena at gunpoint. As Nate and Sully enter, they are ambushed from behind by two of Navarro's mercenaries. Roman turns to greet them and orders them to drop their weapons. As they do, Roman tells them he will be with them momentarily and turns back to the statue. As Roman admires the statue's magnificent craftsmanship, Navarro tells him that it's only a shell and that the real treasure of El Dorado lies inside. Roman opens the statue, which is now revealed to be a sarcophagus. Inside, he finds human remains. Before he can turn to Navarro for an explanation, he falls victim to El Dorado's curse. 
an airborne virus that, within seconds, causes him to lose all reason and become aggressive, like the Descendants. As he runs to attack Navarro, Navarro shoots him in the head. Navarro then orders his men to airlift the statue out of the cavern, and they lower it into a net, which is being suspended by a helicopter. As Nate tries to reason with him, Navarro reveals his true motive, money. Having known about the virus all along, he used Roman's resources to get him to the island. Now with Roman dead, he plans to sell the virus to the right buyer. As he leaves the cavern with Elena, the descendants begin to swarm in. Nate and Sully take the opportunity to overpower two mercenaries, taking their weapons in the process. Nate sets off after Navarro while Sully remains in the cavern, providing cover fire for him. Nate manages to grab the net that holds the statue beneath the helicopter as it takes off. As they fly off the island, Nate is spotted by a mercenary on the ground who radios Navarro on the helicopter. Navarro orders one of his men, Dylan, to shoot Drake. As Dylan fires out through the open window, Elena kicks him out of the helicopter. He continues shooting as he falls, and he accidentally hits the pilot, Javier. With Javier dead, the helicopter plummets towards Navarro's boat. Nate drops off of the statue and lands at one end of the boat, with the helicopter crashing at the other, hanging precariously over the edge. With Elena unconscious, Navarro climbs out of the wreck and orders his men to kill Nate. Nate fights his way across Navarro's ship and, after several shootouts, arrives at the platform where the helicopter has crashed. As Nate runs to help an unconscious Elena, Navarro appears out of hiding and shoots some nearby barrels. They explode and Nate is knocked to the ground. His weapon is blown overboard by the blast. Unarmed, he takes cover as Navarro opens fire. When Navarro stops to reload, Nate takes his chance and engages Navarro in a fist fight. Fuck this part of the game. Nate eventually knocks an apparently unconscious Navarro to the ground. He runs to help Elena out of the helicopter, and as she climbs out, she notices that Navarro is getting back to his feet, gun in hand. Nate notices that the cable connecting El Dorado to the helicopter is in a loose loop around Navarro's foot. Nate pushes the helicopter overboard, which plummets into the ocean below. Nate says his final words to Navarro, adios asshole, as the rope tightens around Navarro's ankle and pulls him and El Dorado into the ocean. Nate and Elena then discuss their experience, and Elena gives Drake back his ring, which she managed to save. As the two lean in for a kiss, they are interrupted by Sully. He reveals that he has brought with them a boatload of treasure, which Nate and Elena are happy to see. As they sail back to civilization, Elena reminds Nate that because she lost her camera, he still owes her a story. He smiles and assures her that he's good for it. Aww. Blossoming love. It's so cute. Yeah. I should probably finish this game. I think the idea of El Dorado being a giant statue that's actually a sarcophagus is kind of dope. Yeah. No, it's pretty dope. It was definitely like when I played it the first time because I didn't know anything really about it. And the fucking descendant showed up. I was like, what the fuck? Like, it just takes, like, a like a left turn I into weird, but, like... But does it? it it's very Indiana Jones. It is. Obviously it's very, very inspired by Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider, which both take real history and mash a little bit of weird into it. Right. Because, like, even the... I mean, even the uh, third in the Indiana Jones trilogy, and I know what you're saying, there's a fourth... But I don't believe you. So I... Uh, that doesn't exist. Even the uh, the third in the Indiana Jones trilogy, The Last Crusade, like, there is a, a immortal Templar in it. Right. Like, it's just a thing. Like, it's just There's a... the entirety of the fucking second movie. 
here. There's the entirety of the second movie. There's the arc yeah. of the covenant in the first one. Like it's it's cool. Like you can mix a little bit of a little bit of weird into your true history. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. I just didn't expect it the first time. I'm sure. Do you ever find out spoilers? Do you, for a game that's been out forever that I don't know. Do you ever find out whose body's in the casket? Or is it just I a don't body? think so. Interesting. I like it. I'm okay. With I could that. be wrong, but I don't remember them. No, nah, I'm super it. cool with not knowing who mm-hmm. it is. I, I think it adds a layer of mystery. Yeah. I would totally steal this for my necromancer campaign. Um but yeah, uh that's what we got for Uncharted. Uh as we like to end every episode, Nick, what have you been playing? I've been playing Let's Go Pikachu. Same. I beat the Elite Four, and then I went and did all of the Gym Leader rematches, because you can rematch them and they have stronger Mons, different teams. Uh, so I did all of them, and then rematched the Elite Four, who is, does the same thing. They have different teams, stronger Mons. And then I did Cerulean Cave, caught Mewtwo, uh, walked all the way back out, told, was told that the, somebody else was going to look for Mewtwo, so I went all the way back and fought Green, um, who is adorable. And then I shiny hunted for a slowpoke and got it, but it has horrible IVs because it has max attack and shit special attack. Um, and now I'm just working on completing the Pokedex, which I think I just need to capture like a couple things and then evolve a bunch of stuff. I um, shiny hunted a drowsy for five hours, and now I'm never shiny hunting ever again. I still haven't gotten it. Damn. I was just watching these chubby little fucking pigs walk around. It was awful. Damn. Yeah, I've the two things I shiny hunted for didn't take that long. Fuck you. So, I don't know. But, uh, so yeah, I'm done shiny hunting forever. <laughs> and Never ever again? I... Yeah, I'm pretty much... I'm, I haven't even challenged the Elite Four yet. I'm, uh... Last episode we talked about how I hated my party. Now I'm reworking a lot of my party. Gotcha, gotcha. So like right now it's Pikachu, Charizard, uh, Meowth, uh, Primeape, Alolan Vulpix, and Alolan Marowak. All pretty solid. Yeah, it's good. I want, I want some experience that... chain chances. I want to have a Primeape just punch things in the dick. Yeah, punch all the things. What about experience chaining chances? If you chain chances, you get a fucked on experience. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna have to go do that. Chain chances with what route? Uh, two players. Uh, Cerulean Cave. Cerulean oh, you can't Cave. do. <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, there's somewhere else. Cerulean Cave just they're just higher levels. So I think you might yeah. get more experience because that. But uh, there's somewhere else. I don't remember. I know they're above Vermilion. Okay. Um, I don't know if they're anywhere else. You could probably just look it up on Cerebi. Yeah. But yeah, chain chances. Um, with uh, two controllers. Oh, that's pretty cool. Because uh, you get experience bonus for yeah. synchro- synchronized catch or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Chansey give a fucked on experience. Huh, that makes sense. The higher the combo is. So, gonna pro tips. Can I have pro tips? Gonna have to do that. Oh, that's all I've been playing. I really haven't had the time for video games. Yeah, it's the same. Um, yeah, I haven't even had the time to really play that one much. Uh, is that all I've been playing? Yeah, that's all I've been playing. Um, on D&D Corner, you guys are finally in Ravenloft. Your rogue fucked up pretty hard almost immediately. Yeah. Um, goes into Ravenloft, tries to take a statue off an altar, and takes uh, 44 points of uh, fucking holy damage right off the bat. Yeah. 
would have been 88 if she'd rolled lower than a 17. Um, or a 17 and lower. Uh, but... Or she would just would have been dead. She just would have been dead outright. And I would have let that happen. (laughs) You're the idiot who did all everything in your power to have this happen. Yeah. This is you, all you, not me. And then for the rest of the session, she continued to go, Yeah, I learned my lesson from that. And And then then immediately touched something else. I want to touch it. Yeah. But you guys, that successfully did something I'm really happy about, which is make Ravenloft scary. Yeah. I'm not I've pulled punches before because of the the weird leveling, but now the leveling's balanced. Ravenloft, I'm not pulling punches. You guys can handle it. So, yeah, I'm not uh, worried about it. No, but. I know you're not worried about it. Uh the rest of the party should be. Yeah. I, um uh but yeah, the uh Ravenloft is uh definitely a rough one. Uh, you guys have passed over more traps than you think you did. Oh, I'm sure. Um, just things have happened. Like, remember that time I go, hey, bro, roll constitution saving throw for me. Or what was it? It was a saving throw. I don't remember. Um, and he rolls it, and I go, okay. He goes, what was that for? I was like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, he just... In case the, uh, a rogue almost fell into a pit. Yeah, the spike rogue. pit. Yeah. Yeah, it's... uh pretty it's it's a rough one i almost was a dick yesterday but i decided you do what didn't you do decided not to do it plus i think we got distracted with something else i was going to because bro's bird is carrying the statue and i was trying to figure out if casey got uh damaged by the statue because it was on the altar because she took a curse like either one of those um yes both um so i was going to have the i was going to mage hand the and tickle the bird so it dropped the statue above jess and she had to catch it oh that would have been interesting and then i was going to see what would happen but i was like mm, i don't want to accidentally kill jess um <laughs> <laughs> so i didn't end up doing it uh, I had a feeling it would have been fine, but I had like a back in my mind that she would roll bad and like <laughs> died from that. Um, and then I think we like immediately got into something else. So I like completely yeah. forgot about that idea. But I was go- I was thinking about it. Yeah, you guys tried to light Strahd's cast uh, coffin on fire and it didn't work. So bro hacked at it with the sun sword for an hour. Yeah, and uh, was able to hack it up into pieces. Yeah, they were just like. I don't think he, like, they were just, like, not getting, like, that it was being broken. I was like, no, no, I want this broken. Um, because somebody's got to be smart. <laughs> somebody's got to be smart in this place. At this point, I feel like a lot of what's happening in Ravenloft is me being obsessed with the lore of D&D and the knowledge of everything that I just know and have in front of me as far as books versus you who's done research. Right. And... Because you're the one who's, like, telling the party, like, no, we need to do it like this. Like. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm trying to win. <laughs> trying to win D&D? I, I'm trying to win D&D. Everybody else is just like, I want to touch it. I want to touch that. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun where I'm figuring next session will be our last session of our Curse of Strahd campaign. Yeah, probably. <clears throat> I, uh, 
need to work on my presence for all of you guys because as a DM and they're finishing their first campaign, so I'd like to get them all a thing. Well, not all of them a thing. You'll see. It's a thing. Yeah. But, um, and then we'll be diving into Waterdeep. Woo! Which should be really, fu- really fun. Yeah, I'm super stoked for that one. Yeah, we got Dragon Heist first and then Mad Mage, which, uh, like 90% positive my brother's getting me for Christmas because he said, what do you want for Christmas? And I sent him a link for that. There you go. So, because he can't afford a lot. He's broke as shit. Yeah, he's a, he's he's a college He's a poor boy. college student and it's 35 bucks on Amazon. So I was like, he can afford $35. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I also picked up Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, which is interesting to say the least. It's the first D&D book that crosses Magic the Gathering with Dungeons and Dragons, which are both owned by Wizards of the Coast. It's very interesting. Ravnica has a really interesting campaign setting. I think I'd have a lot of fun there. Um, the only issue I have with Ravnica is no orcs. Well, damn. Yeah, it's like human... There's no dwarves either, I think. It's like humans, elves... Yeah, the races in Ravnica are humans, elves, centaurs, goblins, luxodons, which are giant elephant people. Uh, Minotaurs, Simic hybrids, which are beings that like have animal attributes that they were um, like experimented on, mm. and then the uh, Vidalcan, which are like Spock. They're, they're basically Vulcans. Um, but yeah, it's no orcs, no dwarves, no a lot of things. Oh, and they also don't call Drow Drow. They call them Dark Elves. Hmm. It's like interesting. This is a really weird setting. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but I'm down for it. Yeah, uh, you can take a look at it after. But uh, yeah, it definitely looks like an interesting book. I'm gonna have a lot of fun with and pull stat stuff from, especially Minotaurs. You know me. Yeah, I like my big beasts. When uh, inevitably in my other campaign, which I'm playing a Triton Warlock, which just doesn't fit me. Whenever he dies, I'm playing another martial character. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think he's going to die anytime soon because he pushes shit in. Yeah. Warlocks are broken sometimes. I know a lot of people say that warlocks are uh, like the weakest of the classes. And then it's like a battle between warlocks and rangers for the weakest of the classes. I don't know, man. My warlock pushes shit in. Yeah. I mean, I think like like I said, I think any spellcaster can push it in with the right shit. But I've also like put everything into spellcasting on my warlock. Right, right. So like my warlock is really, really good at spellcasting. I have spells that, like, no one knows I have. Like, when I cast invisibility on two people, everyone goes, you have invisibility? And I go, I've had invisibility. You have no idea what else I have. Right. Like, because I have an arcane focus, so I can just do whatever. I, um, check us out on social media. We are on both Instagram and Twitter at Navi underscore Tales. Again, at Navi underscore Tales. Check us out on Discord. We have the Discord link pinned on our Twitter. Um, if you want to DM us, we can always send you the Discord link again. Um, it is fun. It was weirdly active today. Yeah. We only got a couple of people in there right now, but uh, they were, we were all chatting it up. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and the more people, the merrier. We'll, we'll all, like I said, Nick and I are pretty active in it. So, um, Other than that, I think we're good. I believe so. All right. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see you next time. Goodbye. I love you. I love you more. I love you more. Rest.
Hello? Yeah, I can hear mine. Hello? Okay, here he is. There I am. Once there again. I am awaiting. Torn into pieces. Can't deny it. Cannot pretend. I gotta take a shit. I just thought you were the one. You want? Do you want to do that now? Nah. You're gonna wait the entire time. It ain't. It ain't like urgent. <clears throat> what if it becomes urgent? I don't care. All right. You have it in front of you. Marked on what time I left to go take a shit. And I've been watching again. What's that? I've been watching a lot of uh, Dan Bell's Dead Mall series. <laughs> Never heard of it. Okay, so Dan Bell's a filmmaker who does incredible things. He does a lot of urban exploration, but he also does a series called Dead Malls, where he goes into, it's pretty self-explanatory, but he goes into malls in America that are dying. Okay. So, you know how mall, the the idea of the mall is dying? Yes. So he he does that on, um, he goes into them as they're, closing and stuff and then even one time a couple times even he's gone into them after they've closed but he really likes malls i don't get it but he likes the architecture and the feeling of them and everything which is really cool um but the we we can watch some later but he plays vaporwave music over all of it it is the most relaxing thing to watch because just him like narrating the history of the mall and stuff and being like oh i really like how the plants are in this they like really get their plants well watered and stuff as he's just slowly walking through this mall that's just almost completely empty with vaporwave music playing in the background, which is like 80s synth. Yeah. <clears throat> it's so calming. That's insane. And like every now and then I'll watch, like, watch his uh, urban exploration videos, which are very similar kind of in feel, although a couple of them are really stressful. Like there's one time he's in one of these things and he, he sees like, uh, a drug deal that like obviously was supposed to go down so then he's on the second level and then like he hears people downstairs that are now looking for someone in the building so he goes oh f-. he's like hiding in this closet hearing people like walking by looking for someone who's in the building because they can tell someone was in there right and he's like oh my god oh my god oh my god I'm gonna die <laughs> like it's things like that that I'm like oh I'm glad you're in this situation so I don't have to and finally, here's another series called uh, Dirty Rooms, where they grade hotel rooms. I've seen that. And the you worst showed hotels. me that one. Or not another Dirty Room is what it's called. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, f- pretty gross. That one, that one I can't watch a lot of, because <laughs> I have to stay in hotels sometimes. And, uh, yeah. Best not to think about it. Fuck you, Fridge. <clears throat> that is the loudest mini fridge. It's because I punched it so much. Well, that's not how you get drinks out of it. No, no, but it, it started getting loud because I think it's older too. So I punched it and it got quieter. So then I started doing that every time <laughs> it got loud and now it just stays loud. It kind of built up a tolerance. I was like, Dad, I'm not scared of you anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid anymore. Uh. The could do dip with dip up up. It just sounded like a character from fucking Star Fox. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, we're trying to run a fucking business here. You're right. I was looking at sound waves. Let's fucking get it. We need to put in work. It's back. (laughs) It came back. (laughs) 
For those of you who've been around for a while, it came back. It's pretty fucking Fortnite of me. Oh, there it is. <laughs> That's my favorite one. That and calling bro's wife Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Jeff. I'm 100% always doing that from now on. Because it's... Because it's a gift we don't deserve. It's fucking hilarious. It really is. <laughs> I don't even know how it ended up happening. I think bro just mis- said her he name s- wrong. Yeah, I think he said it wrong on, a- on accident. I was like, did you just fucking say Jeff? And that was the end of that. <laughs> and now, now that's just her name. Her name is Jeff. Her name is Jeff. It's bro, bro and Jeff. <laughs> bro and his wife, Jeff. <laughs> My favorite is, we were still referring to her as her. Yeah. Just with a guy's name. Yeah. Still using... Uh, the female pronouns. I, I, we're still using our proper pronouns. Uh, I also would like to uh, put in my vote to not call her Jeffrey, but Jeffica. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Sustained. <laughs> you right? Yeah, I have no idea where my cell phone is. And not that I need it. But... No, because we're recording. Yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking, I like, where is it? Did you take my phone? No. Am I grounded? I should, but no. <laughs> Nate, th- <clears throat> Nate then climbs his... What the fuck are you doing? What? He just like... I'm playing with my fat. Shut the fuck up. <sighs> uh, um, but yeah. What would make this better? Let's brainstorm <sighs> real quick in the middle of us recording. Uh, I mean, I th- I don't know. See, I was thinking like shock mounts, but I feel like it's just this table is very loud. Like, I don't think shock mounts are really going to help. I think we need a new table. Yeah. Hmm. Where can I get a table? Nick, field mm-hmm. trip, Ikea. Just kidding. <laughs> Fuck it, let's go. I don't have Ikea money right now. I don't even know, like, what kind of table would be better. A heavy one. Which, like, I'm fine with. Yeah. This one can just become firewood because it's a piece of shit table anyway. Just the only table I had. Didn't we record the first podcast, like, on a stool. I vaguely remember us recording on stools for a little bit. No, I think we always use this table. We just had to, we didn't have arms. So we like stacked books. Oh, right. That's the dumb shit we did. Yeah, we had to stack Just books. remember when we're a world famous podcast, this began on a shitty table stacked with books. Yeah. So that our mics could reach our tall ass faces. Right. We had to like, Figure out that we use like in fucking encyclopedias. Yeah, we use my Civil War encyclopedias that I have over there. Yeah, to like make it so the mic was like at a, an appropriate level for both of us with the uh, with their little stands because we were both rocking. We were both walking uh, snowballs at the time. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, no, I think we've always used the table. I feel like the first episode was recorded with one mic. It was. Was it? I think it was recorded with one of these, because I think you had a Snowball and I had a Yeti. Oh, yeah, you may have gotten it. Yeah, I, don't uh, think... I think we both bought mics at the same time. Yeah, the first episode was recorded with one Yeti. I think Yeti it was just the... recorded with a Yeti. In the middle of us. Yeah. There you go. Came to the conclusion where my brother has kids and buying them a drum set. Good. <laughs> right, where the fuck were we in You this? can choose not to hear it.
Hmm? Yeah, that's true. It'll just piss off Vicky, not my brother. <laughs> yeah. He eventually finds the front end of the plane in an encampment and is relieved to see the map still in one. Please. Please. Please stop. Woo-woo! <laughs> <laughs> That's a sound of the police. <laughs> <laughs> Upon arriving, he finds the parachute harness empty. He climbs up to a hole and zip lines down to into. Good job. Good words. <laughs> Is it Elena, Alana, or am I gonna just, or we're gonna just say both? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Elena. So like one of us is right. I'm pretty sure it's Elena, and I think that's what matters the most. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Elena though. Elena. I mean, there's no. It's not A L A. Or A L E. Fuck you. You're right. I'm pretty sure that's Elena. It is. I'm pretty sure. I'm gonna call her Alisana. Okay. Emptiness has darkened my eyes as... You know that band? Yeah, I saw them once. Of course you have. You've seen every band. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> You've seen every fucking band. <laughs> One armed with an M79 Granada launcher. One armed with a M79 <laughs> grenade. <laughs> you just got so mad at yourself. <laughs> you were so disappointed with yourself. <laughs> At least it's not just everyone else. It's yeah. me, too. Yeah. He is awoken in a jail cell by Elena, who's throwing stones in, in at him. Oh. Words are hard, Nick! <clears throat> they are. While the two have been talking, Elena has placed a hook on the cell's bar. Uh, <laughs> Nate and Alana. Fuck, look what you did. Nate and Elena swim out of their. I can't their, believe you've done this. I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe you've done this. Nate and Elena swim out of their crash jeep. Uh, let me not say that like I'm fucking tired of this shit. But we are. I know. <laughs> Nate notices a small motorboat in front of the building. <laughs> you fucking immature child. <laughs> I pay taxes. <laughs> Okay, that one almost made me spit my water out. <laughs> he goes, I pay taxes. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, shit. Nate notices. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh, I know. <laughs> I know what he sees. Um, fuck. I remember editing this paragraph and I was mad. Uh, and now I'm mad because I edited the paragraph. Nate and Elaine, words are fucking hard. Um, as well as the date the ring was made, the 29th of July, 1596, the day Sergeant Francis supposedly died. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and correct you because yeah. it's January. Oh, you're right. And if you're like me, and you know mm. off the top of your head the day Sarah Francis Drake died, because you're just like, I don't know, a little bit weird. Like, it's gonna bother Sir Francis Drake, man. Yeah, they can get real mad. It's gonna be an uproar in the Sir Francis Drake fandom. 
felt a disturbance. <laughs> Points it at Elena's camera and says that it's the closest to the El Dorado. The El Dorado? And says that the, it's... The Dorado. The Dorado. The The Dorado. The The Dorado. I don't know what Dorado means. Uh, means golden. The golden? Kathy, you need to cool your shit up there. You need to calm down, woman. Nate is abused. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, you were right. <clears throat> my dad's just yelling at Alexa. I could hear it throughout <clears throat> my entire house. I don't know why they bought this. No. It is absurd and obnoxious. I keep trying to get it to play my two lovely uncles and it won't. <laughs> we like Can we like get don't you don't you have a dot? Yeah, it's in my bedroom. We need to like get it and like make it so it's hooked up to everything and then just fuck with shit down here. Hey. <laughs> that is cruel. I like it. Yeah. There's a sound of the police. <laughs> 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 When you just play, uh, because I got high just on repeat. Yeah. Because I think that would be the most offensive song to my parents. Probably. That or 6 9 Yeah. That's offensive to anybody. <laughs> I like that one song that I blast. <laughs> As they cross the bridge. I don't know why we make a fucking podcast. Neither of us can talk. I don't know either. It's just half half the fucking podcast is just outtakes because we can't talk. But is unable to pull her up until she opens up the keyboard on his iPad accidentally. No way, that's what I did. And that the treasure of yours had better that this treasure of yours had be <laughs> fuck words. That's all I have to say. <laughs>